Transform your dreams into your greatest achievement. At Oakland University, we have the expertise to help you with a new career path. We'll help you explore career opportunities, salaries, and certificate or graduate degree programs to achieve your goals. Let a graduate degree help you take charge of your future. Learn more at oakland.edu slash grad. The Leslie Marshall Show, a true democracy in talk radio. Of, for, and by you, the people. Live from our nation's capital, it's Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. Deadline DC with Brad Bannon. I'm Brad Bannon. A columnist for The Hill in Washington, DC, and a commentator for news radio stations KNX in Los Angeles and WGN in Chicago. My company, Bannon Communications, polls for progressive issue groups, labor unions, and Democrats. BannonCR.com is the sponsor of today's show. If you want to learn more about me and my political polling company, or if you have any ideas or suggestions for Deadline DC, the best way to reach me is on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Brad Bannon, all one word. We've got a really big show for you today. Our guest in the first half hour is Atiba uh, Madian, uh, who will discuss the impact of the pandemic on black families. Then it's time for the provocative progressive political panel. My guest on the panel today, and we're going to discuss the climate meltdown in Texas, uh, will be uh, climate activist Tim Zink and progressive activist Mark Grimaldi. But let me just say this, for those that continue to feign great surprise about what happened on January 6th, as a black woman, to be barricaded in my office, using office furniture and water bottles, on the ground, in the dark, that terror, those moments of terror, is familiar in a deep and ancestral way for me. And... I want us to do everything to ensure that a breach like this never occurs at the Capitol, but I want us to address the evil and scourge that is white supremacy in this nation. This is not only about securing the Capitol to ensure that members and our staffs and the custodial staff and food service workers are safe in the Capitol, mm -hmm. it is that we are safe in America. And one of the images that I'm haunted by is the black custodial staff cleaning up the mess left by that violent white supremacist mob, that is a metaphor for America. We have been cleaning up after vi violent white supremacist mobs for generations, and it must end. Congress so impeach, expel, investigate. Our first guest today is Atiba Madian. Uh, he's a political analyst, an author, and former deputy executive director of the National Black Caucus of State Legislators. Uh, welcome to the show, Atiba. 
Thank you for Thank joining you. us on Deadline DC today. It's uh, great to that be here. clip was from uh, Congresswoman Alana Presley of Massachusetts uh, talking about the uh, Capitol coup or riot on January 6th. Uh, let's start with that. Uh, she mentioned, and uh, the House this week, uh, the House of Representatives is beginning uh, hearings today on what happened at the Capitol on that fateful and tragic day. Uh, Congresswoman Presley uh, mentioned the fact that uh, the riot was executed by white supremacists. Uh, what do you, what's your take? Uh, and, you know, I guess the other thing that's worthwhile talking about today in the Senate to having confirmation hearings for Joe Biden's uh, attorney general nominee, uh, Merrill Garland, and he talked about the uh, Capitol riots. Uh, what does this say? Uh, what do the Capitol riots say about the rise of, and strength of white supremacy in this country? Well, I think, uh, well, first of all, thank you again for having me with you. And in terms of what we see right now that's going on, oftentimes we have a tendency to look forward and not look as much back. But I think we have to go back to 2008, 2009, um, when the, we saw the, um, the move, the, we saw the Tea Party. And, you know, the Tea Party was grounded and created um, out of racism. Um, and it was, uh, you know, in terms of racism toward a black president. Now we fast forward and we see, um, what happened up over the last four years of this president who, of the former president who built a lot of division and a lot of hate or brought that to the surface. So, you know, what we're seeing in terms of these hearings, in terms of looking back, in terms of what happened on January 6th, I think that we really have to do a better job of talking and trying to look at the whole picture, um, even further looking at um, what is it, the root cause or whatever that's caused this hate and division. And as the Congresswoman said in the clip before, white supremacy, it's all, all of this is grounded in a past that's not very um, pleasant for people who look like myself. Okay. Let me, let me ask you a question. And yeah, this is Black History Month. Uh, and uh, what, uh, you know, is this country making progress on racial relations, or is it going backward? I mean, we elected uh, a, a black president, Barack Obama, for two terms. Uh, then we uh, got uh, Donald Trump, who seemed, it seems to me, went out of his way to make racial tensions in this country uh, worse than they ever were. Are we going forwards or are we going backwards in race relations in this country? You're, you mentioned in your um, introduction today that your next panel, your political roundtable, is going to talk about climate. I remember President Obama, when he was in office, he talked about uh, climate being our number one uh, national security threat. I disagree with him then, and, I and I'll say this. Racism, fascism, sexism, xenophobia, all of that is our number one national security threat. Until we address that, until we talk about um, things. It's unfortunate that we're talking about a lot of these issues as it relates to race because of what happened with George Floyd last year. And then we saw something else happen with Breonna Taylor and we saw Ahmed Arbery. The country, in terms of progress, if you look at our, from our inception, it's always been about we make progress and then there's something that pulls us back because there's still, there's still a part of the society that 
uh, either often feels that they're being left behind or that there's something that they're not getting, almost like a, a child and a big family who feels like one child is getting something that they're not getting. So this is a, it's, it's a difficult thing to say that we have not made progress, which is why I think it's important for us to continue looking back in order to move forward. And we have to look back. If we look at where we were 50, 60 years ago, yes, we made a tremendous amount of progress. But if we look back to, for instance, 100 years ago, when I have a cousin who was lynched in North Carolina, North Carolina, because he spoke up because there was a white young store um, uh, uh, employee who switched out his premium apples for, for uh, a rotten batch of apples. And because he spoke up, a 150-member white mob came to the jail because they, they arrested him along with 14 other people, pulled him out of the jail, and killed him for speaking up. And that's what we have in this country. It seems like when we, as African Americans, tend to speak up about the atrocities and about the things that have happened, we end up being ostracized as if, uh, why are you talking? You look, think it comes to mind uh, LeBron James speaking up um, during the basketball season about what was going on with police brutality. So the country is moving forward. The problem is that there's still those that are part of the country that keep pulling us back. Okay. Uh, let me ask you about uh, Joe Biden. Uh, you're wearing a, a shirt for our video uh, viewers uh, that says Kamala on it. Uh, how has uh, Joe Biden, uh, have Joe Biden and Kamala Harris uh, addressed racial issues in this country in the first month of uh, their presidency and vice presidency? I think the president has done a number of things when we start with his inauguration address. I mean, he spoke specifically about racism in his inauguration address. And then he started off and has signed several executive orders, one to try to repeal some of the things that came out of a, a racist administration before him. But we can't keep relying and thinking that all of this can be fixed because of we elect a black president or because now we have a first woman and first uh, uh, a person of color, African-American woman of Asian descent to be president of the or vice president of the United States. That's not enough. We have to keep working. It's just like if you look at what happened in 2020 um, with the election in November, it was really great to see so many people in such a diverse coalition of voters come out and vote for this administration. But we've got to stay engaged in this process. It's not just about voting. It's about staying engaged and holding these elected officials accountable. So we can't expect the president is going to be able to do everything. We have to be working to make it easier for him to get us over the goalposts. Okay, we're going to uh, take a break now for our radio audience, uh, but we will be continuing this interview uh, with our TV audience. Uh, our guest in this half hour is Atiba Madhun, uh, who is an author, uh, a political commentator, and former deputy director of the Black uh, Legis uh, State Legislative Caucus. Uh, we'll be back with more of Deadline DC after these messages. Okay, welcome back to our radio audience. 
Uh, if you're in our radio audience and if you're listening to us and you'd like to listen and uh, watch us at the same time, uh, there are a number of ways you can uh, get the video feed of, of Deadline DC. Uh, you can go to periscope.tv at periscope.tv front slash Brad Bannon. We're also on Facebook Live at tinyurl.com front slash BB Facebook Live and also on YouTube at tinyurl.com front slash Brad on YouTube. Our guest in this half hour is Atiba uh, Madjun, uh, who is a commentator and political analyst who's joining us here today uh, to talk about the impact of the pandemic on uh, African-Americans. Let's uh, let's uh, try this. You know, one of the things I uh, wanted to ask you about it. Atiba, is uh, talk more about the economic impact that this uh, pandemic has had on African-Americans. We're losing jobs. I mean, you know, and, and it's unfortunate that a lot of African-Americans who are either wage workers um, have lost their jobs because companies have cut or a lot of small businesses have gone out of business in the last year. Um, but there's also the, the, the effect in terms of how I'm, I'm sorry, I'm taking a break because I kind of keep feeling like we keep talking about the issue in terms of how it's affecting African Americans. But I just want to stop and say from this standpoint, it's important for the stories and the things that have been happening to African Americans to be more humanized and not just put into another category and another data um, piece in terms of, well, this is what's happened to African Americans. Because the truth of it is, African-Americans are a part of the American culture. We are, we have built this American economic system. We never benefit from it. We never get to benefit from it because we keep getting put in these different categories where we're not allowed to necessarily be part of the whole piece. So when you ask the question about how has it impacted the African-American community or, you know, it's not just jobs. It's also um, someone loses a job and so someone else in the family tries to help somebody else in the family. But then if you make a certain amount of money, let's just say, for instance, uh, if you make over $120,000, look at how that has impacted us in terms of stimulus payments or stimulus checks. So this whole thing is not just about how it's been impacting African-Americans. I think it's also how it's impacting other Americans. It's just that it keeps having this flashlight, this spotlight on terms of African-Americans. And it, it really goes into a whole lot of other areas that we don't really even have time to really go into in this amount of time. But it's 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 real. And um, but it's we just saw what just what happened in Texas um, with the um, snowstorm and how people were affected with power. Well, imagine that in a global sense, in terms of the whole country, in terms of African-Americans, in terms of how we have felt in terms of this whole uh, piece of this. And so, um, it's, it's, it's just so much deeper. And for me, not to say that I didn't want you to ask me that question. It hurts because the virus is not, it's not the only thing that keeps impacting us. It's the virus of racism that keeps impacting us too. Okay. Well, let me ask you this question. Uh, this week, uh, uh the house of representatives is going to be debating, uh, Joe Biden's, uh, 
pandemic, uh, the American Rescue Plan, uh, which would include uh, aid to state and local governments uh, and a number of other things. Uh, what would you what do you think uh, the House and Senate should be mindful of uh, when they debate uh, the president's rescue relief package? Uh, if you look at a state like Georgia, um, where we had we just saw Raphael Warnock, Reverend Raphael Warnock, and John Ossoff win, I think that they won that the election is there because there are a lot of people that are hurting, and there are a lot of people who are tired of the country and politicians politicizing their pain. So, what should they be looking at? We know the president is going to look at small businesses. He talked about that today. Um, Hopefully, it's going to be narrowed down even more in terms of minority and in terms of incorporating African-American and women. Um, but I would love to see, in terms of this package, do something not just to help to save businesses, but really to help to save people and people who own these businesses. Um, it shouldn't, you know, $1.9 trillion is still not enough. And when we look at where we started at this March 14th, I know in D.C. where we went first went into quarantine to where we are coming into almost March 14th a year later. Um, and we look at the transfer of wealth that has occurred over this period of time. That's very serious. And that's not just African-Americans who've been impacted. That's this whole country. That's the middle class, which the president talked about today. The, the middle class is our engine. And yet they, the middle class keeps getting penalized for being the engine of this country. So I'm, I'm hoping and I'm hopeful that um, both Democrats and Republicans will look in terms of the pain that Americans are, are feeling as a result of this. The unfortunate part about this is that we know that in the political culture that we have, there's going to be a lot of political or, or um, conversation about this. And one side that's not going to do anything because it wants to make it difficult, more difficult for the other side. And this really is not a political issue. It shouldn't be. It should be an American. How are we going to save American people, um, their lives, their homes? So many people are struggling right now to pay mortgages and rents. Um, and I, I, so those are the type of things that I would like to see um, really get addressed in this package. OK, I'd like to ask you a question uh the House also is having uh, the Senate's having hearings, and I no actually the both houses are having hearings this week that have to do with the uh, uh, the capital attempted capital coup on January sixth. One of the things that has bothered me is it seems to me in many cases the criminal justice system has treated many of the riot rioters uh, pretty casually. Uh, for instance, uh, you know, one of them uh, uh, who was jailed uh, for her partner, Ryan, uh, the riot uh, asked a judge uh, if she could uh, go on a planned vacation. And I guess the judge allowed her to. And then there's Kyle Rittenhouse, who uh, is accused of murdering two people who basically jumped bail. And I the last I checked, the police haven't been able to find him. And if you compare that with the, some of the treatment that uh, the criminal justice system has exacted on uh, African-Americans like, you know, George Floyd, for example, it seems to me there's a, there, the glaring contrast between the treatment of, uh, you know, white supremacists and uh, people who may have been, uh, you know, demonstrated or protested at Black Lives uh, Matter rallies. 
so I'm sorry. Um, the, what was the question? Well, the question is, do you think that uh, the criminal justice system treats, uh, you know, white people differently than black people? I almost want to pause and say, you know, it does. Um, yeah, of course. You know, it, it has always uh, discriminated against African-Americans. And so um, we know that there is a difference. We know it's a difference when we saw what happened. I mean, to watch an insurrection play out on television, to watch those people go into the United States Capitol and then to look back after George Floyd was killed and then think about the protests that happened for social justice because yeah. of the killing of George Floyd and to see the remember that the pepper spray that was sprayed. Because- Atiba, uh, thank you very much. And sadly, we've uh, reached a half hour right. and we're out of time. want to thank you very much. Our guest was Atiba Madion, um, a political commentator and author. Thanks very much for joining us. Thank you. Welcome back to Dead Mind uh, In this half hour, we're going to talk about uh, the mess in, energy mess in Texas, uh, climate change, and the climate crisis. But before that, last week there was good news and bad news on the climate front. The good news was that President Biden reinstated the United States as a member in good standing with the rest of the world in the Paris Environmental Accords. The bad news was very bad. The energy crisis in Texas exposed the ugly realities of climate change. People died of exposure while the Republican governor of Texas lied when he said that the Green New Deal was responsible for the power outages. The weather in Texas was frightful, but in Cancun, it was warm and delightful. In the middle of the devastating climate crisis, Senator Ted Cruz traveled to sunny Cancun, which dramatized his indifference to his constituents and to the climate threat that challenges the health, wealth, and well-being of all Americans. You can read my take on policy and politics every week in the Hill. Just Google muckrack.com front slash Brad Dash Bannon. Uh, yeah, Brad Dash Bannon. What we saw in Texas certainly shows what folly the Green New Deal would be, how unreliable wind and solar uh, power generation really is, and how it needs fossil fuel backup. It, 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 we've also learned how uh, vulnerable our grid is uh, to, to, again, the unreliable green energy, but also potentially to geomagnetic disturbance uh, from the sun, you know, solar winds, and also potentially EMP attacks. Yep. Uh, the uh, first inclination of uh, the uh, Texas Republicans, including the governor, was to blame uh, the, cl- the energy crisis uh, caused last week by the bad weather on the Green, green New Deal and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Uh, uh, which brings us to today's provocative progressive political panel. Our guest panelist today is Tim Zink. Tim Zink is a principal at Molecule a public affairs and business company. Tim has spent his distinguished career shaping public policy, especially in the area of uh, energy and climate. Uh, His Twitter handle is at Green Crude. 
Joining Tim on the panel is progressive political activist Mark Grimaldi. Mark has worked on get-out-the-vote operations for Democratic presidential candidates, including Joe Biden. Mark also fights for campaign finance reform and funding for cancer research. His Twitter handle is Mark J. Grimaldi. Okay, panel, uh, welcome. Tim, let's uh, start with you. Uh, as I mentioned, President Biden uh, rejoined the, the uh, Paris Environmental Accords last week after Donald Trump uh, had walked out on them, and I think on the first day of his presidency a little more than four years ago. What does the fact that the uh, United States is again part of the worldwide climate accords, what does that mean? It means the United States is part uh, is part of the leadership role of companies, of, excuse me, of, of countries that are necessary to bring the rest of the nation and the world along to reduce the impacts of climate. And it's an important um, organization for us to lead in and, and, and really uh, drive the agenda and helping nations bigger and smaller than us uh, reduce the, car the carbon intensity of, of everything that they're doing to eliminate uh, fossil fuels from their uh, transportation networks uh, to uh, reducing the impact of, of uh, those fossil fuels uh, on, on all the uh, issues that we've been addressing you know, here today related to ultra extreme temperatures uh, from heat to cold to snow to weather. Uh, those, those impacts are going to be with us for decades to come and that's what it's all about. Okay, uh, Mark, uh, what do you think so far of the initiatives that Joe Biden has taken uh, to fight climate change? I mean, I think in the uh, the limited amount of time he's done, the, you know, the most important step, which was, you know, an obvious one to be fair, but um, most important, which was to rejoin the Paris Climate Accord. That was, you know, let's not take anything away from that. That was a massive step to get all of the countries that it did involved and unfortunately uh and a huge black eye for us as americans donald trump uh pulled us out of the climate accord despite you know its overwhelming popularity with americans and you know regardless of that how important it is in the world that we are a part of that um and uh to get other countries to come along and follow their promises we need to be um doing ours um so i think that was a huge step and you also see the work that um, Transportation Secretary Buttigieg is uh, starting to uh, lay out that he's going to do um, with um, making our fleet uh, that we use in the United States green. And also a, a huge step, which we're going to be hearing more about uh, in the coming weeks, is the president's infrastructure plan. It is, you know, almost like an infrastructure slash environment plan because it's going to have so much to do with renewable energy. So I'm really excited for that, um, to hear about that. And, uh, I know Tim probably is as well, because, um, I know he's very passionate about climate change as well. So I think this is a huge opportunity for us to, uh, advance, um, you know, this issue. Okay. Okay. Tim, uh, what exactly happened in Texas last week? Uh, Texas has its own power grid. Uh, the Governor Abbott's uh, first explanation of what happened is essentially is that the uh, 
environmentalists uh, caused it uh, by demanding, uh, you know, wind turbines and all sorts of renewable energy. Uh, but that was a ridiculous excuse. But what did happen in Texas last week? It's uh, it's the colliding. We're colliding with the future of extremes. And okay. um, essentially what's a, what a, it, it's kind of shocking that the, the governor of the largest energy uh, state in the world uh, wouldn't understand that pow- the, the power system and the grid needs to be balanced, meaning if there's too much demand and not enough supply, the entire grid crumbles. And uh, it's, it's called a grid for a reason, meaning everything has to be balanced. And, uh, and what happened was is that there was more demand because of cold temperatures uh, and the inability of the state to provide funding to harden those systems in cold temperatures. The same happens in extreme high temperatures. In fact, Texas experienced this in about five years ago in extreme high temperature conditions where their grid, uh, their grid partially collapsed. This is not the first time Texas has dealt with this problem. Um, they are obsessed with being independent from the federal national national grid because they fear federal regulations, which require hardening of systems for cold or hot temperatures. Imagine that. Uh, and um, and, uh, you know, it's essentially uh, the uh, lowest common denominator. The lowest price is what wins. It's not about making sure people have access to water and and sewer and electricity at all times, 24 hours a day, when you flip the switch, it should work. It wasn't about that. It was about profits for big corporations. It was about poor management. And it was about really uh, horrible political leadership on the part of the Republicans, and particularly on the part of the governor in the state of Texas. They knew damn well enough what was going to happen at some point, and they were just hoping to point the finger at Democrats. Okay, I read somewhere, Tim, that... uh... (laughs) renewable energy only accounts for, I think, 10% of the power generated uh, in Texas, which is one of the reasons why the uh, governor's uh, take on the situation sounded patently ridiculous. Uh, Do you think uh, the Americans will buy the governor's explanation or this will contribute to a rising uh, awareness of the problems of climate change? I think it will do both. Well, first of all, you're right about the statistic of, in terms of the amount of renewable power in, in, in the state of Texas. That's a remarkable number, actually. If you think about 10% of the electric grid in Texas being renewable over the last 20 years have been accomplished, that's a pretty big uh, accomplishment. But hardened power, hard power, uh, like uh, natural gas and nuke and other sources are what is relied upon firm power because it's always available versus intermediate power of renewables that exist. And it's all about the interplay of those systems and how they work together. And will it uh, send a message about the impacts of climate change? You know, Brad, you and I've done a lot of survey work around the country and we're seeing these trends occur throughout the country uh, we're seeing trends where people actually are uh, deeply concerned with the impacts of climate change. And I just think this reinforces uh, in people's minds what can happen. And this is just the tip of the iceberg, folks. We haven't even really gotten to uh, 450 parts per million. We're still hovering around 107, 417 parts per million of CO2 in the atmosphere. Imagine when we actually reach the tipping point a few years from now. 
Okay. Uh, we're going to go to break now, but when we come back, we'll have more of the pro- provocative progressive political panel. Hey, Brad, good to go. Welcome back to Deadline DC, Brad Bannon. Uh, this is the provocative progressive political panel. Our guests are uh, a clean energy activist, Tim Zink, and progressive activist, Mark Grimaldi. Uh, let's try this. Uh, Joe Biden is mounting a what I would describe as a mammoth effort uh, to rebuild, build, build back America after the uh, uh, economic uh, slowdown caused by the uh, pandemic. Uh, The first stage is a uh, $1.9 trillion uh, package, uh, which would uh, contain cash grants for Americans, uh, aid to states and local governments in fighting the pandemic, uh, and uh, all sorts of things. Uh, If that passes, and I think it probably will in some form, Then there's the next step, and that would be a massive infrastructure bill. And from what I can, uh, what I've seen and heard, it could be a larger package as uh, $3 trillion, uh, and that would include money for a massive uh, investment in our infrastructure with a focus on clean energy, uh, which is badly needed. Uh, my question is, uh, that's probably, you know, that kind of package, we're talking about $3 trillion, which is much bigger than the uh, America Rescue Plan, is going to require uh, heavy lifting. Uh, it will uh, run into opposition from uh, Republicans in the Senate uh, who are climate change deniers, such as Senator Cruz. Uh, it will also probably run into opposition re- for Republicans for the massive expense. Uh, they didn't care about spending money uh, like crazy while Donald Trump was president. But now that we have a Democratic president, they're born again fiscal conservatives. So, uh, uh, Mark, uh, what do you think uh, that Joe Biden needs to do uh, to pass his uh, infrastructure package, which, again, I think is going to be a really heavy lift for him because he'll need 60 votes in the Senate uh, to break a filibuster? You know, I I think that it presents a good opportunity. It is going to be hard if Mitch McConnell you know, locks down his caucus because of, of what you highlighted. But I think that there is some interest on the Republican side as documented by the comments of those who supported it during the Trump administration. Um, so, you know, I would I would key in on that. I would start from the process of, you know, come in with what you're looking for and, you know, see what kind of agreement you can come up with and see if it's palatable. You know, it may not be exactly, you know, what it won't be exactly what we look at from the start, but I think that um, it's going to be a good opportunity to help 
these people in their districts. You know, that's the thing. They're going to want to be able to, if they can deliver, some of these senators deliver critical infrastructure improvements to um, our country at a time when, you know, I think it was something like three or four years ago, we were already uh, graded a D, D plus from the Army Corps of Engineers for our country's infrastructure um, it's only gotten worse. So this is an opportunity for them to come back to their district and say, look what I delivered for you. Um, it's creating jobs. It's improving the infrastructure of our district. So I think that's the key that he's going to have to push forward, you know, what's in it for them um, and do the best you can to keep as many of the renewable energy policies in it as, um, as you can from the start. Um, that's the way I would see it being able to move forward. Okay. Uh, Tim, it seems to me that if uh, Joe Biden is going to uh, get the Senate to pass his uh, infrastructure uh, and clean energy package uh, sometime in the next couple of months, uh, he's going to have to go around uh, the Senate and make his case to the American public. Uh, how should Joe Biden make his case uh, to the American public uh, about the need for uh, infrastructure uh, uh, reconstruction and also the dangers of climate change, which I think uh, he'll will go together. And I guess one argument he can point to in terms of infrastructure is what happened in Texas last week. Uh, but what argument does uh, Joe Biden have to make to the American people about the need for infrastructure and clean energy? Well, first, it's all about jobs in the economy. And can't forget that there's a very persuasive political argument. So I would focus on the impacts of jobs created through an infrastructure package. The second thing I would do is remind everybody what happens when we don't prepare properly for crisis, for events that we know are going to happen, i.e. COVID, i.e. the most recent disaster in Texas. And we have to get ahead of this in order for our economy to grow and maintain our preeminent role in the world against China, who are building infrastructure like crazy. 40 new hospitals are under development in, in, the United, in, in China, just, in, just alone. So we got to get after it, man. And I think he's just got to make a persuasive argument and build coalitions. And, and you know, it has to be of national interest for us to be successful and for him to get the cloture votes he needs. Okay. Uh, Mark, you want to weigh in on that? Well, oh, well I, let me let me ask you a different question. Mm -hmm. uh, right now, uh, Joe Biden is enjoying sort of a honeymoon. Uh, now, I think there are a lot of reasons why he is. Uh, but uh, last week, I checked the uh, 538 website uh, and their national average for Biden's approval uh, was 56 positive and 38 percent negative, which which in this uh, age of divisive politics, I think is actually pretty good. Uh, you know, Donald Trump never had a plus job rating uh, during his whole presidency. And uh, Joe Biden has a net approval of 18 uh, percent uh, now, which I think, considering the circumstances and what he inherited, uh, is a godsend. Uh, first of all, why do you think uh, why do you think what has Joe Biden done or said so far uh, that has got the approval of Americans? He's solving problems and he's doing it without making it about himself. Um, that's what his presidency has been about. It's been about action, 
you know, one thing that stuck with me was I read about how um, he and those coming in with his administration had studied what FDR did his first 100 days, and then they tried uh, to condense that amount of action into his first week. Um, and you just see the flurry of activity that they are doing within their power. And, you know, they are meeting the moment. They are taking this crisis head on, these many crises head on, whether it be COVID, whether it be the environment, whether it be the economy, um, whether it be racial inequality. Um, they've done something to address each of them. They figured out what power do I have right now? Um, and what can I do about it right now? And how do I attack the problem going forward? Uh, and I think that's what the American people have been hungry for. They've sat around long enough um, and watched a president under Donald Trump not only do not the right thing or just have inaction, but do the wrong thing. You know, go out in public and not wear a mask and, and you know, go out and ignore the crises, um, you know, just mishandle the funds you know, that were supposed to be used for COVID, you know, they were going to have this spend something like $300 million on an ad campaign about how they were defeating the crisis. Um, an interview just came out yesterday with Dr. Fauci talking about how Trump uh, vindictively, quote, let terrible things happen um, in response to Dr. Fauci disagreeing with him in public about COVID. So I think Joe Biden has been the, uh, the the opposite of that, which American, the American people, um, some, you know, would have voted for Donald Trump are in that approval. Um, and I think that speaks to the fact that he's been able to win them over with his actions and all the scary things that Donald Trump said about Joe Biden. Um, people are just seeing that, that those aren't true. And now they, the proof's in the pudding, you know, they can see it right in front of them and he's appropriately acknowledging the magnitude of the crisis. Um, the flags will be flying at half staff later today for the 500,000 Americans who have lost their lives due to COVID. Um, you have to recognize what the crisis is before you can defeat it. And I think that's, that's also important, uh, as well. Okay. Uh, I think part of it, I think Joe Biden has done a lot in a month. I also think just uh, many Americans are just relieved that Donald Trump is gone. I think what uh, Biden did in dealing with this Texas mess was very illustrative. He basically, you know, they voted for, uh, you know, they're very conservative. All the Republicans, conservative Republicans call the shots. But he jumped on aid to Texas in the result of uh, in the midst of the crisis they face. Anyway, that's it for Deadline DC today. I want to thank my guest, Atifa Madian, uh, Tim Zink, uh, and Mark Grimaldi. This is Brad Bannon. Stay strong, stay safe, and stay sane if you can while the pandemic rages. I'll be back next Monday. Same bat time, same bat channel. Leslie Marshall will be back tomorrow, so make sure you listen, or there will be big, big, big trouble. Anyway, I'll see you uh, next Monday. In a noisy, stressful world, Quiet is the most valuable commodity, and the cabin of every Lincoln vehicle is designed with this principle in mind. Should you desire a little more melody, our available Revel Audio system will not disappoint. The very same engineering that makes for a whisper-quiet interior provides a studio-like setting in which to rock out to your music, finding harmony all around you. That's the power of sanctuary, and that's Lincoln. Revel and the Revel logo are trademarks of Harman International Industries registered in the United States and other countries. In a noisy, stressful world, 
Quiet is the most valuable commodity, and the cabin of every Lincoln vehicle is designed with this principle in mind. Should you desire a little more melody, our available Revel Audio system will not disappoint. The very same engineering that makes for a whisper-quiet interior provides a studio-like setting in which to rock out to your music, finding harmony all around you. That's the power of sanctuary. And that's Lincoln. Revel and the Revel logo are trademarks of Harman International Industries, registered in the United States and other countries.